Following a partner to a foreign country, new city or rural community can impact your career, network and access to continuing education. Brunch is a podcast from the Trailing Spouse Co, where I, your host Joe Palmer, chat with trailing spouses from all over the world. Brunch is a chance to meet trailing spouses, hear their stories, the highs, the lows, as well as advice, tips and tricks to get the most out of your trailing spouse experience. In this episode, I speak with Henda, a South African living in Singapore who has been a trailing spouse for over 15 years. Henda talks about her relocation to Mauritius and the challenges she faced as an unmarried trailing spouse. She also talks about closing her company after the birth of her second daughter and the feeling of identity loss that came with that. Henda also shares some amazing advice around not defaulting to study after a career break and also the fantastic concept of volunteering in a startup and then hitting them up later on for equity. I hope you enjoyed this chat with Henda. Henda, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, Let's get started. Tell me, who are you? Where are you from and where do you live now? So my name is Henda Jones. I'm originally from Cape Town, South Africa, and we now live as a family of four in in, um, almost eight Mauritius, because that's where the journey was prior to, but we are now in Singapore. Okay, well, that was a perfect segue into hearing where your trailing spouse journey has started. Do you want to take us back to the, take, well, take us back to Cape Town? Is that where you were originally first married or together or where, how did your sort of whole trailing spouse thing happen? Yeah, so it actually started as not being a spouse, but a partner, um, working in the food industry, being a qualified food technologist from the University of Technologies in Cape Town, met my partner who was living in Mauritius at the time, um, and the opportunity came about to say, listen, let's see if life works for us together. Um, Resigned from my job at the time with Pioneer Foods, joined him as a partner in Mauritius, um, started off a small consultancy business in Mauritius, subsequently got married have had two daughters, um, been in Mauritius for 13 years, and then moved over as a family to Singapore in August 2021. So the trailing partner turned into trailing spouse and now in Singapore. Wow. So you did the plunge from what long distance into quitting job and relocating to an island. Can you fill in people that might not know where Mauritius is? Yeah, so Mauritius is um, in the Indian Ocean island, uh, in the Indian Ocean. It's an island off the coast of Madagascar. So it's actually still seen as the development part of Africa, tropical, and was a fabulous destination to live with a young family. Um, And we made the most of it, that's for sure. So what draws people to Mauritius? Because I, I believe there's quite an interesting sort of expat sort of crowd or scene in, in Mauritius, isn't there? Yeah, Mauritius is an interesting place to live as expats. Um, I would say mostly French expats. 
a few South Africans, British, it's become a little bit more cosmopolitan. Um, and as I said, it's more so the quality of life that I think is the immediate attraction. Um, in terms of section sectors for employment is hospitality, offshore finance, um, and a little bit of manufacturing, specifically textile, which is trying to lift its heads again. And then property is, and construction is always looming in the background, but with current economical crunches, that's taking a bit of a backseat. Mm. So how, how big is the place? Like how many people would live on Mauritius? It's 1.4 million people, I think, at the moment in Mauritius, but it's, but it's not, it's where it's populated, it's very densely populated, but the outskirts is basically old farmland, sugarcane. I see. And so are we right in picturing like white sand beaches and, you know, digital nomads sitting there with in, their, their laptops? In, indeed, indeed, to a certain extent, the, the beauty, the natural beauty of Mauritius is quite exquisite. Definitely. Yeah. And so what had taken your now husband to Mauritius in the first place? Because he's not Mauritian. No, no, he's also South African-British. Um, he uh, had the opportunity to get stuck into the offshore finance and private equity, which is what was the designation within Entrepreneur, was the designation in Mauritius, and subsequently grew his business into another footprint in Singapore, which is what brought us here. I see. So you had, what, 12, 13 years, did you say, in Mauritius? Yes, we did. We did. He had slightly longer, but it was very good. We left with fond memories, but also um, happy to have had a change. Yeah. And so what what brought you, like, what was the, the sort of motivation for, for your husband to, to move things to Singapore? It's just business opportunities for his own business and African focus out of um, Singapore to not look at Africa as a big dark place, but as a place with developing opportunities and tap into the market um, and to expose the people within Southeast Asia not to be fearful. It's not all doom and gloom and it's not all about corruption. Um, and yeah, that's the reason for us being, being here. And I think to get back to the trailing spouse part of it, I think uh, you rightfully mentioned that I took the plunge from being corporately employed um, having a career interview of being a partner um, and not a, a wife, call it at the time. But I think that's the important part in terms of work ethic, that I knew that if things didn't work out, hopefully I could have gone back and knock on the door back in the corporate environment and say, mm -hmm. gosh, didn't work, I'm back, could you help me? But luckily, luckily that didn't happen. Yeah, interesting. So talk me through what did sort of life look like in Mauritius as far as making friends and obviously it sounds like you were able to work or incorporate a company and actually function sort of career-wise in Mauritius. What did sort of day-to-day -day life look like there as an expat? Yeah, day-to-day -day life obviously prior to us having had a family was uh, uh, I suppose you could be as busy, the more you have to do, the more you do. Um, so you could literally sit on the white sandy beaches daily if you wanted to. You could keep yourself busy with active wear, whether it was equestrian or cycling or walking or running. And I think I did quite a bit of the making the most of the environment in terms of doing runs on the beautiful beaches and things like that. 
but that didn't fulfill everything, hence the incorporating of a domestic company, because as a foreigner, you need a permit. And because we weren't married, I couldn't be within the country without having had my own permit. So it was having to incorporate the domestic company, which gave me at the time an occupational permit, valid three years at a time. So I started off to consult to restaurant change, the Nando's group. Um, they've got a footprint in Mauritius. So I did their food safety and quality management audits in the restaurants and their suppliers. So that was monthly. Um, and then some of their suppliers had biannual audits. So I did those. Then I did the same um, also consultancy and food safety and quality management audits for the ShopRite Checkers Group, which is the largest retailer in Africa. They at the time had presence in Mauritius, so I did these quarterly. I did the in-branch branch audits, and I also did those in Madagascar. They subsequently closed their footprint down in Mauritius. Then I also represented the uh, French flavor house, Man Flavors, um, the big French flavor house, and um, almost acted as a sales representative for them. They had their existing clients, but it was trying to tap into a new market because it is quite a strong European um, flavor profile within Mauritius. And there are a few food manufacturing companies and manufacturers on the island. And then completely on the outline of that, I also acted as a representative for a company called Competitive Dynamics International, which runs efficiency management program, mission directed work teams. Um, they're all around the world. And that was quite an exciting journey because there I started working with a um, construction company and working with the people on the interior side that made wooden fixtures for building sites and just focusing, it's all a visual based program on how they can work efficient. But that was quite a tough challenge because um, management needs to walk the walk, talk the, what's the saying? I get myself tongue tied now. Yeah, walk the walk and talk the talk. And that was a tough challenge in a, in a culture that had their way of doing. So I quickly realized that the opportunities for mission-directed work teams in Mauritius was big, but the mindset change from an upper level was harder. And um, one should say maybe life, uh, things in life happen for a reason, because subsequent to that, we had one daughter, then we had a second. Um, and I parked, parked the mission-directed work teams a little bit on the side. I think if you persisted, with the Fox Terrier approach, you would have had great success. But the key, the most important thing at the time was to be there as a mother for the children. Um, and then post the birth of our second daughter, it became tough to do both, being mom, full-time mom, um, being away from a support network, um, that I decided to close the domestic consultancy business down because I had to obviously be registered as a domestic company, which had cost, and to start continue running the business on a corporate loan and that was no not corporate loan, but personal loan made no no more sense. So it was a, I think it took about close to twelve months for me to admit 
that it's important to close the business now down to pay the corporate fees month on a annual basis for auditing and so forth made no sense but it felt as if my identity was going so it was a tough decision but i did that in 2013 and since then no active employment since then i've been busy um the girls was in a smaller community school in Mauritius at the time and then i started volunteering there um, when the youngest joined school so i was always busy but by then um still working in the same field but on a volunteer basis so i kept my kept my head going kept my mind going but i could be there for the girls even when they needed me yeah that's a nice combo that you had going on there so how then has that transition of moving to singapore now that the kids are bigger they're at school how have you sort of found the the transition from Mauritius to Singapore? I think the similarities in terms of moving is the same, irrespective of where you live. And I think the frustrating part um, is that you see opportunities at times, but because you're there, similar Singapore, similar to Mauritius, obviously now being a married spouse, I'm in Singapore on a dependence permit. And understandably so, there's got to be a form of regulations, but as a dependent to your spouse's permit, you don't have the right to, to work and apply. You could apply for a permanent job, um, but then it's with the prospect of getting your own employment permit, which isn't always an easy task. And ultimately the focus still is to be a mother, um, smaller kids need you physically older kids need you in a different way so i think the the move where you live isn't the difficult part i think it's having to adjust to where you are in terms of your life and still look for opportunities that fits at the time in the and the place and i think one one of the things that's exciting in terms of being a trailing spouse, if you're willing to do things out of your comfort zone and your official qualifications and professional career, um, they're there. It's just you can't necessarily get to them if you're not officially allowed to work mm. and be, be employed on a, call it a temporary basis or a half-day basis or project basis only. Yeah, or you might find that you're able to do it, it's just you're not getting paid for it. Which is okay, and I think that's that's also the opportunity is if you're in a privileged position that you don't necessarily have to contribute, excuse me, financially to the house, but it's just something that you can do for yourself, whether it's to give back to a community or give back to yourself. It's just having to find those opportunities, and it's almost, it is a great opportunity to almost, I don't want to say redefine yourself, but you've got actually because you've got the freedom, you do have the ability to look at what makes you tick more. And that is definitely one of the things that with the volunteering work in Mauritius, one of the things that came about for me, even though I'm from a science base um, and the food safety side and the development of what food could be and how good it could be for you, the stuff that makes me tick really is actually more change management is to see what happened in people when I was training the ladies in the kitchen that cooked for this 
for the students, the 400 students a day, that was basically home cooks, that by the end of two, two years of redeveloping a menu, that could bake a lentil lasagna from scratch, make a bechamel sauce, make mashed potatoes, things that we sometimes take for granted, but they could cook Creole food and small batches, but the, the aha moment that I felt seeing with the staff within the kitchen was more fulfilling than I think my whole corporate career. And opportunities like that must be in any place you live, if that's what's important to you. Yeah, that's such an interesting point. Like, yeah, and that satisfaction that sometimes um, comes, like, like exactly how you said, it might not come from a paycheck or that that financial independence, but if, if what's making you tick is that buzz, how cool to be able to get that from something in a voluntary way as well. Yeah, and I think Singapore will have those too. Um, and it's it's slightly harder to get to those places. I can honestly say that it's not with a lack of, of trying. Um, there are those places and there should be those places, but understandably so, the, the need immediately is to use people um, possibly that can speak a language that could give back to the community more so. Um, and I think that's one of your biggest frustrations as a trailing spouse, irrespective of where you live. At times, your mother tongue or English per se isn't necessarily the language of choice when you need to do or want to and willing to do community work um if you could possibly in this case speak a form of um one of the mandarin dialects it could have added more value if you wanted to go into the community um and mauritius french for example so that is a frustration and i think being out of the workforce official workforce for a long time when you then are as a trailing spouse and opportunities come forth i think one of the toughest things is a lack of confidence because you've been out of the the workforce for some time um and you almost second guess if you can still do the job but you can it's somewhere there um and i think it's that's the the, the frustrating part because people almost aren't willing to give you the opportunity and take the risk with you and you don't believe yourself so it's a chicken and an egg situation 100 percent. and i think that you nailed it when you said when you're out of the official workforce because all of the stuff that you've been doing is still work but it's not financially remunerated i think that that's really interesting and i think that that's a a thing worldwide particularly for women that when you're out of the paid workforce for sometimes not even a particularly long amount of time, but like for an extended period of time, that confidence piece is what really takes a hit. And exactly what you said, you having the confidence to engage in the workforce or start a business or those sorts of things, you're lacking that confidence of, of do I still have the skills and can I, can I do this? But also um, lack of confidence from the employer's part who still which frustrates me to no end. They still look at a, at a resume and see a gap and it's not a gap. It's a paid gap. Yes, but it's not a gap. And I will, anyone that listens, I always talk about, especially um, women that have left the workforce for extended periods of time to have kids. 
I think all the transferable skills that you pick up as a parent is like, you know, time management, crisis management, hostage negotiations, <laughs> all of the things that, that come with, with wrangling kids and running a household, that those skills are incredible in the workforce, especially in corporate. Let's be honest, talking to a lot of people, particularly like senior management, it's like managing children. So I feel like those skills are definitely transferable. <laughs> I, I, I think the... the um... That has been a very particularly uh, interesting learning curve since we've been in Singapore, because I've slowly but surely started to look at opportunities within the workforce. Um, and it is very clear that it's either permanent employment or going the route of also possibly incorporating a domestic company and employing myself, um, which brings other challenges. But there was a stage when I started this journey when I started second guessing myself again, saying, should I do a refresher course on food science? Should And it was actually someone independent, someone in their late 50s that's got ample experience, not within the food industry, that looked at my CV and work summary and said, no, whoa, stop, please. There's no reason to go back to the books. It's all in there. You just need to believe in yourself. And I think that was a very valuable insight from someone that has had had great success and continue with success to say, don't think that the academics bring it all back. It's there. Just trust, trust yourself. So, yeah, but it is a challenge because if you still don't find the right thing to do, it almost starts eating back at the confidence thing again. A hundred percent. And it's like, you know, what it's like that perpetual of, applying for jobs, going through the process, particularly if you start getting to interview stage and um, where things feel like they're progressing and then they don't, that that is just the biggest confidence blow again that you sort of just keep getting getting knocked back. But I think, um, I think that it's a really interesting, like, observation that you've made that sometimes that it takes someone that's a bit distant from you as well to point it out like that that concept of having someone in their mid-50s who's not in your industries to still be able to look at your cv and say you don't need to go and retrain like if you want to stay in your industry or in your well not even if you want to stay in your industry if you can really nail those transferable skills into jobs in other industries it's a totally doable thing yeah and i think that again is that's why i said it's almost at times exciting to be as frustrating as it is to be a trailing spouse, it's actually also very exciting, depending on how you look at it, um, because there's not often in the world that you have the opportunity to almost redefine yourself and look for an opportunity without any handcuffs, because you don't. Um, it's just having to be confident enough and find for those, find those. And I think that's potentially one of the biggest things that's come from my experience exposure or the time that I've been living as a traveling spouse is I don't think the immediate focus on pure food safety, food quality, food hygiene and the aspects of that is the thing that I really want to go back into. I would do that purely to have something to do, but I don't think it would fulfill the full, full part of what makes me happy, but I'll rather work 
if I need to go back onto my professional qualification, I'll rather work in upskilling people to understand why they're doing it than physically auditing them. Um, so I have definitely had the opportunity to learn something about myself in this journey. And I think that's the important part is don't look at it always as a difficult thing, but as an exciting time too. Yeah, and it's it's almost that creating space for your brain to sort of percolate on what you're wanting to do. Um, I want to change text slightly. Talk me through how not even work-related, but just sort of life-related, how have you found, um, I guess, growing your network in both of those places, like in Mauritius and then in Singapore? How did you sort of grow friendship groups or even be crossing paths with 50-year-olds who were looking at your CV in the first place? So I think Mauritius obviously was an interesting start because I arrived there with a partner but no immediate call it uh, long-term goal. Um, so it was having to, we've, I was privileged because my spouse was there prior to me. Um, and I think to, to quickly get to the Mauritian initial part of Mauritius is if you're someone that enjoys sports, which both of us do, he signed up at a golf course, a golf club, diving club, um, so by the time I arrived, he had a bit of a network already in terms of that. Um, and as we then got married and then had children, obviously a great form of meeting people are always through your children. And in Mauritius, I drove the kids from place to place. So it was constant interaction with the parents, whether it was at nursery school, school, sport activities. So that's how I made the friends and maintained friendships in Mauritius and made lovely friends, friends that feel like family and friends that will be friends for life. Of all ages, we've got friends in their 60s, um, 50s, 40s, 30s, all, all ages, which I think is one of the best things about being a traveling spouse or an expatriate. Uh, your traditional uh, categories and blinkers that you will have in terms of those things disappear and you've got to be open to it. So I think the biggest thing, um, and then in Mauritius, moving to Singapore, it was a bit of a different setup and settling in Singapore because not driving the children, school buses or public transport, so it's a bit more of a handle approach. Um, again, meeting people at sport clubs, which is a great start off. Um, again, that's if it's something that makes you tick, but generally it's a media set uh, kind of, you would know that you share a common interest if that's where you meet one another. And hopefully there will be a friendship that grows from that. It was tough because it was during the latter part of the pandemic, but it's definitely a different approach um, from Mauritius being a place where you hosted people at home um, whether it was, as we say, a braai or a barbecue or time in the garden or on the beach or on a boat, Singapore, most of us will be in a condominium. So you don't necessarily have the place in this space. We still find that as a preference, preferential form of entertainment. But because the culture is different, you won't necessarily get the reciprocal. So it's not to be overly sensitive. Put yourself out there. You'll have to meet 20 and potentially be, become friends with two 
Um, it's not a good thing to necessarily grow a thick skin because you could be become almost rude and emotionally unaware, but to the same extent, if you take everything on board when you move to a new country or new place, you will have con constant introspection and not go forward at all. So be open-minded to religion, um, languages, cultures, because it's important. And yeah, I think that's the joy and the benefit of moving around, learning from others, and then through that, enriching yourself. Mm, what fabulous advice. I think that, um, that, that really tapping into being just open-minded, I think that that's something that we might think, yeah, yeah, I'm open-minded when I, when I turn up to a new place. But I sometimes think that we can quite often sort of default to what's easy and you might sort of find the people that hail from your own country or that you sort of um, end up to sort of falling into that crowd. And I think so many amazing things come, like you said, when you when you can put yourself out there and um, and see the opportunities that can come out of that is really, really cool. Do you have any any things or um tidbits I guess that you wish that you'd known before you started um I, if I think back of the time in Mauritius when I did have the small domestic company my spouse and myself actually about two weeks ago had this discussion I do think if I were um and it took me what Erin my youngest is nine um it took me about nine years to admit that I think if I did work harder on that at the time, I could have made more of a success of it and it wouldn't wouldn't have been a cost center towards the end. It could have had a pause. So, and it was a big thing to admit, um, but I'm not by nature entrepreneur. I have great ideas, but I'm not by nature an entrepreneur. And I was almost scared to ask for help at the time which is, I think, that led specifically the reason why it led to what it did. Um, and because of those experiences, you become uh, resistant to do it again because you're fearful that you'll make the same, same mistakes. But that's also okay to make the same mistakes and learn from them yet again. 100%. And it's okay being married to someone that's an entrepreneur. Um, I think it's a big acknowledgement to know what you can do and what you cannot do. And I don't think you should be fearful of doing something purely because you know certain skills you don't have. Um, as I said, I know that I'm not an entrepreneur, but it, or maybe I don't give myself enough credit because I'm there's the innovation part is there, but I know I need the backing and it's having to ask the right questions and the right help at the right Time. But do you know what? I sometimes think that the entrepreneur needs someone that's a lot more practical behind the scenes. True, true, true. <laughs> They're a lot more level head that keeps everyone a little bit more grounded. Maybe you can, uh, uh, like, you can compare notes with my husband on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure everybody will have a, a story to tell about that. So, yeah, I, I think lessons learned is don't be scared. Um, 
and even at this age reminding myself not not to be scared that and go out there i mean i got great advice about also about two weeks ago there's a great amount of new startup food companies in singapore because there's a drive they call city city they want to be 30 percent self-sustainable by the year 2030 so there's an incentive for food production and specifically agricultural or horticultural production within Singapore. And as someone said to me, go and knock on the door of these small companies and say, I'm here to volunteer four hours, four hours a day for three days a week. I don't need a salary. And which is true. Then I at least go back into the, the industry. And then the individual said, there's nothing that stops you in time to say, okay, how about a little bit of equity if I've been with you in time? So again, it's look outside the box. Not a lot of times that you'll get the opportunity to to approach things in those matters. So they're there. It's just trust yourself, believe in yourself and arrive. And I think that's the toughest part is sometimes emails and phone calls don't work. Arrive at the door. They eventually need to ask you to leave, I guess. Yeah, that's great advice. And I think that that is like advice that's not just in the food industry. I think that like um, volunteering in startups and then hitting them up for equity is the most fabulous idea if you're a bit like, I don't know what to do with myself. I think that's a great strategy. Yeah, so that was great advice. Uh, I've actually started the research on a few companies and there are some. There's some very interesting companies. So maybe again, it, it gives you the opportunity to sit and pick who you want to start with. It's not again, often that you get that opportunity. I know it's like almost reverse interviewing the company of like, actually, do you deserve having me in here? Do you deserve <laughs> to have me as an owner in your uh, in your company? And I guess the minute someone's gonna say to you, yes, we're happy to have you for four hours or two hours or whatever the case may be, that, that in itself should in theory give you insight in terms of their work ethic and ethos so yeah again if you start networking and you start talking things come about again if you're open-minded and willing to listen oh such fabulous advice thank you so much Henda, and thank you so much for your time today it's a pleasure thanks for chatting i hope you've enjoyed this episode of brunch by the trailing spouse co if you are a trailing spouse anywhere in the world, come join us. We're a place where you will find other like-minded professional trailing spouses, as well as training, education and employment opportunities. Head to thetrailingspouse.co and connect with our network. If you'd like to join me for brunch, you'll find a link on the website to register your interest for a chat. At The Trailing Spouse Co, we are passionate about ensuring that you are connected your mind is stimulated and that you are always learning on your trailing spouse journey.